But this morning, we are going to start a Sermon on the Mount. I started this journey at least a year, if not more ago. I began listening to a book on Audible by Dallas Willard. So I'm going to say from the get-go, if you hear some things, you're probably going to hear some of his words. The book that I was reading is called Divine Conspiracy. Reading that book, I felt like he voiced everything that in my heart I've been asking. I didn't just listen to it once, I've listened to it multiple times. And it's, it's all revolving around the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to erase whatever you might have thought of, preconceived notions of the Sermon on the Mount and come at it from a fresh perspective. This is totally unusual for me to say, but it, you're, we're not going to be reading a lot from the Sermon on the Mount this morning, sort of an introduction, because the first 12 verses are big. You could teach a 12-series lesson on them. If you want to have your Bible open, that's fine, but everything will be afforded to you up front, so you can sit back, take notes, do whatever works for you. Dallas Willard, in speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, says this. There are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate settings of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. They single out cases that provide proof that in him, the rule of God from the heavens truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond all human hope. I don't even have to ask because I know many of you that have been in places where you have felt an absence of hope. And somehow we come at things with we just need to read a little more, we just need to pray a little more, we need to do a little more, maybe you just need to serve in children's church more. All those things are good. But there's been something missing, in my opinion. And after the sermon, throughout the week, if you want to call and have dialogue, I welcome it and I, I, and I want to hear. But this next quote by Dallas Willard uh, sort of summed up the culmination of my past year and a half. And I wish I was on the good end of it. The situations in which we find ourselves are never as important as our responses to them which come from our spiritual side. A carefully cultivated heart will, assisted by the grace of God, foresee 
forestall others stand like helpless children saying why. I've asked God a lot of whys in the past couple years. I just want to tell you there's hope. I'm not standing up here, sitting up here broken. I walked through that stage. <laughs> I'll walk through it again, I'm sure. But I want us to have a hope, a hope that is not just waiting, but a hope that is stepping outside in faith of doing things differently than we ever have before. So there, I'm going to break this down. It's not, I'm not going to give you, like, I'm not going to constantly repeat stuff, but you're going to hear some of these things in the next coming months. But one thing is three kingdoms. Because the kingdom of God is at hand, remember when Jesus said that? The kingdom of God is at hand. It doesn't mean that there aren't competing kingdoms present. Ultimately, what Jesus was talking about is the kingdom of God. It's where God reigns. It's where he is present, and what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective will. It is the natural home of our soul. It is everything that is available to us through Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom of God. But as Grace, and she did not know what I was going to talk about today, she pointed out there's another kingdom. There is the kingdom of Satan. There is a kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom is strong and powerful. And none of us on our own can fight it alone. Many of us have succumbed and just ignored and sometimes trivialized the power of the enemy in our lives. The kingdom is where Satan does what he wants. And we fall in line. Because I know we have. The kingdom of Satan is the kingdom of me. And you. It's where what I want done is done. It is what I can do or control directly or indirectly. I can. And we have an opportunity this, this morning, I believe, to begin the process of bringing our kingdom into God's kingdom and relinquishing control of our kingdom.
Ultimately, in doing so, I believe that we allow ourselves to be the person that God can empower to do whatever we want to do. I'll try to say that again, I'll make sure you understand the significance of it. It's a preparation of preparing ourselves so that God can do with us whatever we feel called to do. So we walk into something and we sense God's presence and strength. He gives us the power and we make it happen. It's all God, but it's preparation. I feel too many times we fail to prepare. We feel that a trip to the communion table or a quick confession will make things right and will give us the power we need to see the kingdom of God be lived out in our lives. Which kingdom has power over you? This next one I didn't get until the past 24 hours. I've read the book multiple times. Somehow I have missed the whole thing until 24 hour period. And this is my words for it. It is the intentional hiddenness of God. The intentional hiddenness of God. This is what Dallas Willard calls the divine conspiracy. A conspiracy is where something is happening behind the scenes and no one really knows about it. God is intentionally putting himself behind the scenes, purposely putting himself back to allow us to decide where our faith is found. And to my comedic side, you want to know what my biggest prayer has been probably in the past couple of months? God, show yourself to me. Show me something. Give me a sign, right? We said that. We prayed it, right? We've been the Gideon people. Give me a sign. Show me something. God is not obvious because he allows human desire and will to go its way because that is what defines human character. If we were automatons and we saw God for who he was 
It was sort of like being the, you know, the great and mighty Oz, and we were fearful of him, and we knew, and we stood before his holiness, and we were like Isaiah, and we come before him, and, and we had that, we would do it out of fear. But God doesn't want our character molded out of fear. He wants it molded out of love. Ultimately and intentionally for him. We find ourselves in a place where the knowledge of God, and I'm not talking about intellectual knowledge, and I'm not talking about natural theology where we see God all around us, but oftentimes the knowledge of God is painfully absent. All you have to do is look through the Bible and see God's people, and they get their sign, right? And they do things right for a period of time, and then what do they do? They just keep going back to the old ways. Acts 10 speaks to this. The apostle Paul, in speaking about Jesus, says, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. If I were Jesus and I had been risen from the dead... I would roll into the temple in a Jaguar or a Humvee, and I would just like slide on in there and roll out, and the red carpet comes down. Boys, I'm home. But Jesus was absent, wasn't he not, from them? Pilate? who had every opportunity to pardon, but it wasn't God's will for Pilate to pardon Jesus. If I were Jesus, I'd roll right into Pilate. Yo, what's up, Pilate? My Father in heaven is bigger than you. And I'd have a little arrogance, right? I'd walk in with a little pep to my step. I know y'all wouldn't do that because you're good Christians. (laughs) But look in Acts here. Not all the people, but to us who have been chosen. I don't believe this is a theological construct on God's sovereignty of choosing the people who he chose beforehand. I believe that this is about people who walked out the disciplines of grace in their life, who fell down, who got up, and whose faith continued to grow in spite of adversity, and who said, God, I am here, my faith even though wavering. We said, despite my unbelief. Wait, we declared it in our singing. 
I believe that these are the people that God chooses to reveal himself to, and it is our construct to prepare for that moment. I believe generally we fail to prepare ourselves for the presence of God. Because our kingdom is more important. Or we've given in because Satan has had his way one too many times and we've given up. I'm done. All of us have done it in some way. I'm going to give in to this because it's had a hold of me for years. This is my speck in my, or this is my thorn in the flesh that Paul talked about, so I'm just going to suffer with it the rest of my life. Don't think so. So what we can do in looking at the Sermon on the Mount is create a gospel of sin management. Blessed are those who are poor. And all the poor people say amen. That's not what he's talking about. You might know that and have been laughing anyway, but I'm just, I'm going to dig in a little bit. Jesus will answer four questions on his Sermon on the Mount. Four questions. One, what is reality? It's God and his kingdom. It's a reality. But remember, sometimes it's hidden, right? Behind a frowning providence, he, countenance, he hides a smiling face. Two, who is blessed? Or who has the good life? Not the salt life, not the brackish life. But who has the good life? Who has the blessed life? It would be anyone who is alive in God's kingdom. Not Satan's kingdom. Not my kingdom. But God's kingdom. Three, who is a really good person? Who's really good? There are none righteous, no, not one. I'm not saying we don't do good things. Don't, don't misunderstand that. But what's the good life? Those who are pervaded, immersed, dripping with agape love. Agape love, a love that we cannot manufacture nor create. 
a love when Jesus stood on the cross when people persecuted him and he said, Father, forgive them. And fourth, how do you become a really good person? Apprentice yourself to Jesus Christ. Latch on to Jesus Christ. Become his apprentice like the disciples did and walk with them. With walk with him. Not just picking a decent person who we feel is good, who is morally good, but and it's good to have people around you. We need that. It's not what I'm saying. But apprentice yourself under Jesus Christ. The gospel of sin management, I believe, is why we have people who fail to have honest devotions with Jesus because they don't view it as an opportunity to grow. They view it as an opportunity to just get it done and check off that legal list and to feel good about themselves temporally. They don't see it as a genuine relationship. We don't see it as something that has power. We see it as something that is maybe impotent Because we have not lived out the kingdom of God, we still have our feet straddled, maybe at best, in our kingdom and God's kingdom. Those of you who know me well will know this, don't put it up yet, will know this next quote or statement is jarring to me. Because I preached this, Martin Luther preached this, the reformers preached this. And I'm not taking away from it, but I, you have to see the power of it. Justification has taken the place of regeneration. Justification is the place where Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Our sins were placed on him. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And, and his righteousness was placed on us. And we go, yes, I stand before God. So it's sort of like we go casually and we feel like we don't have to change internally. That we can come and we can do the, 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 the weekly walk down the aisle. I did I wasn't going to get up, but I got to stretch. And we can even be the Eeyore Christian walking down the aisle towards communion. Oh, my. Here I go again on my own, right? Some white snake for y'all, older folk. Going down the only road I've ever known. God, I'm defeated. Here I am again, defeated. Here I am again, defeated. Here I am again, defeated. Would you do something different? If you've rested on justification and not experienced regeneration and embraced the sanctification process, you have missed the opportunity for the kingdom of God to come upon your life. You're relying on a theological construct, which is true and which is necessary and which is important. 
but you might have just sort of checked the box, well, I have got my ticket to heaven, and I am good, so here I go. It's all good, God. I'll suffer along this life with you. And so when you see that, blessed are those who suffer, oh my, that's me, Lord. I've been suffering, suffering succotash. I've just been suffering, Lord. It's woe with me. My life has been miserable. I got little kids in the house. I got diapers. I've got a packed over diaper genie. I have to work two or three jobs. I don't get much sleep, Lord. Oh, my. Because it's our kingdom. I think I got that one down. Notably absent is the power of the kingdom in most people's lives. Many, maybe I should say. Justification has taken the place of regeneration. Ephesians says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Please know this. This isn't talking about the non-Jewish people. It's talking about people who are not a part of the covenant of God. Do not continue to walk as people who are apart from God walk. Walk as people who are a part of the kingdom of God. Walk in new life. Walk in new ways. This was preached to the new church. Don't continue to walk in the futility of their minds. Judges 17.6 says this. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what is right in his own eyes. If you cannot see it in our society right now, you are not only deaf, blind, and dumb, but you are blinded spiritually. But frankly, this verse is about God's people. It's going to do what's right. It's going to do what feels good. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a, a different a thing that's occurred is that we have gone from natural law, believing natural laws, thing that, things that exist, to more of a public sentiment. It's what people feel are right now is what's right. Well, this feels good, so what? Do it. Everyone has freedom now. If it feels right to me, just go with it. There's no natural law anymore. There's no things that sort of stand together. And so let me speak bluntly when we get away from the safety of the confines of natural law and God's thing, we walk outside of safety 
And I don't believe the world sees it. And the world's wondering why young men are going out and shooting groups of people because they have come to the end of their ropes where there is no hope. There is no promise of light. There is no expectation of anything better. Life has dealt them crap, and, and they have continued to manifest that, and no one has demonstrated the kingdom to them. There are no rules. Just right. Just do it. You want it your way, do it. And that does not satisfy. Drug addicts can tell you that. Porn addicts can tell you that. Alcoholic addicts can tell you that. Name your addictions. It can tell you that. It does not satisfy. If it feels good, do it. It does not help you in the end. You cannot define terms and you cannot define good in terms of human desire. Goods doesn't come from that. I might desire to do a lot of things. See me later if you want a list. But they're not good for me. Do you remember the in the Old Testament when Moses held up the serpent? People got bit by the snake, right? And what did they do? Moses was told to fashion his golden serpent and people look upon the serpent. Seems a little weird to me. Willard says that that serpent is a symbol of our self-will. It bites us and it kills us. If you know your Bible some, you might realize that it's later said that as, the, as a serpent was raised up by Moses, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Our self-will was put upon him, and we take on God's will, if you consider yourself a believer. The poison of self-will corrupts the good in human life. It's poisonous. We have marriages broken up everywhere. We have families broken up everywhere. Some of those all for reasonable reasons. Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But self-will, what I want, what I want, my kingdom is not how I can judge what's good or not because my desires get convoluted in that. And it gets mixed. Do you know that our character only develops in freedom? If you're parenting, you can understand some of that. Because if you try to put a lock on the door... And helicopter parent, so to speak, that's the new term, the newer term these days, right? Just hovering and helicoptering. You will never see what the character of your kid is. But it begins to expose itself in freedom. God has given us a freedom of the will.
our Heavenly Father has allowed us to have freedom of our will to go out and show what our character is. As a parent, what do we want from the kids? All good, right? But you don't experience it until you're free to do so. God has given us that freedom. That freedom comes with consequences, and your freedom will not define what the consequences are. Paul Magnus, the one who wanted to do what all the disciples were doing in the, Old, in the New Testament, they wanted to power, sort of woo people over. He had freedom. He didn't want freedom. He had freedom of his own will. He wanted the power of Jesus without the sacrifice and the discipleship and the apprenticeship of Jesus. He wanted to go do his own thing. And I didn't know this, but he ultimately went up on a tower and told people he was going to fly. He had freedom to do so. What do you think the consequences were? He gone. You cannot define your consequences. You can choose the action. You can have freedom to do whatever you want. But you cannot choose the consequences. Uzo, when he rocked the... Um, Someone say it, because you know what I'm talking about. When he, yeah, the ark, when he rocked the ark, and he, the ark rocked, and he went to grab it. He didn't think the consequences were going to be God was going to take his life. But that's what was said, right? He said, if you touch it, you shall surely die. I believe some of us just go up and keep continually riding the ark of our lives, holding it up. It's out of balance. Here I am, God, I'm going to make this right for you. I'm holding it together. Or I'm going to do it my way. Human will and desire has institutionalized itself in our culture that rejects truth and goes for desire. Quickly, 1 Samuel 16, 7, second part. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He look at, he's looking at what kingdom is being lived out. So in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to end this as quickly as I can. Seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain and he sat down and the disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit is one who is utterly recognizing that we are unable to do anything apart from the Spirit of God. It's not, I'm po, I'm blessed. There's a lot of people more poor than we are. Some of us aren't, but it was just saying. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's not saying go find a reason to mourn so you're good, you're blessed. 
but it's, it's a provision of living out the kingdom. Look at what mourning is really about, Psalm 119. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. When's the last time you've mourned over that? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I heard a testimony yesterday at Dale, Elder Dale Skinner's funeral. If you missed that, you missed an awesome opportunity to worship. But Dale was a peacemaker. He wouldn't put up with these trivial pursuits of ours, these stupid games we play. We all play them, don't fool with me. These offenses that grow from a splinter into something bigger. Dale would call people up, and this is a testimony from his sister, his older sister. Dale would call, he's like, I'm gonna be calling and you're gonna be answering because we're gonna talk. He was a peacemaker. Folks, I'm gonna tell you, there's gonna be some phone calls. Because if there's any sense of lack of peace in this room, we're going to make some phone calls. And I'm talking about whether it's me or whether it's you or whoever. We are all in this together. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution doesn't mean Eeyore. I think very few of us have experienced it. But if you're in the kingdom and you get persecuted, praise God, you're going to be blessed for it. That'd be a good time for an amen, I think. You'd lighten it up a little bit. That sound like a Baptist. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This doesn't mean that you're a jerk. And people give you a hard time and you go, Lord, I'm blessed because they revile me. Maybe you need to be reviled because you're being a jerk. Maybe it's time to grow up. Maybe it's time to be a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better daughter, a better son. Maybe it's time to grow up. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Last quote, and I'm done. Truth can only be supported in a community of grace where self-will does not rule, but love rules. Chew on it. When you are alone, you will make up your own truth. 
I have fashioned more things about what people thought about me and have wasted more time thinking about it and created more drama in my own head because I let it sit in my head. I know that's just me. But truth comes out amongst believers that are grace-centered, that are not living in self-will, but are living where love rules. And I'm not talking about the kind of love wins of a former pastor. I'm talking about the kind of agape love where the agape wins because we're selfless together. We own our faults. We reconcile together. We say, I don't want to live like this anymore. And we grow up. Because the king is greater than I am. Because God's glory is more important than mine. Because his kingdom is greater than my little kingdom on on the back 40 acres. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Hear that. God's kingdom, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Hear that, hidden? God's hidden sometimes. Hidden with Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Would you please stand? Do with this whatever you will. But don't say you have not been warned. Be encouraged when you walk up. Be hopeful in Jesus. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. a Christian. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that our church would be ready for you to do anything you desire because we are prepared for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.